Welcome to episode 12 of Coffee and Tea with Dustin and Abby. Uh, this is Dustin Detzer. You can find me on Instagram at Holistic Personal Training 812. I have group fitness classes at Four Barrel Fitness in New Albany, as well as Inner Spring Yoga at the Kula Center in New Albany. And I'm also accepting new personal training clients at both locations. Today I'm flying solo again. It's Christmas Day, and tra- Chad and I traveled up to northern Kentucky. And I'm sitting here with Nick Ritter of Summit Fine Meats in Anderson Township, Ohio. How are you doing today, Nick? Hey, Dustin. How are you? Thanks <laughs> for having me. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, too. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, were just, we just finished Christmas breakfast here at Chad's parents' house in uh, Fort Mitchell, and we were talking about, uh, we got to talking about labeling and food and how deceptive it can be, and uh, Nick was like, man, I'd love to talk about this on the podcast, and I was like, that's a great idea, because I had no idea. Uh, you were telling me about how um, well, go ahead and explain to some of the uh, the kind of deceptive practices that can be in labeling with like meats, for example. Yeah, we um, we own a butcher shop, Summit Fine Meats, um, Instagram at Summit Fine Meats, and um, we took it over in July. And one of the things that we we bought it from friends of ours, really dear friends of ours, for a number of years, and they owned it. It was family owned butcher shop for them. And been in their family for a number of years. And we were really passionate about food uh, and, and, and what all that means, right? Food, invariably, you don't eat food alone a lot. Sometimes you do. But most of the time when you eat in, in good food, you're eating it with your friends or your family, those people that you love. And that's what we're really passionate about. So we ended up buying the shop uh, with partners of ours, also uh, very good friends, uh, Andrew and Jody Lang. And when we got into it, we, we found out a whole bunch of stuff around just kind of the food chain, if you will, and how that works. And one of the first things we ran into with some of our um, suppliers at the time were um, country of origin labeling laws. It's really interesting. About 18 months or two years ago, there was a, a significant amount of deregulation that took place in the, in the industry and um, a lot of it was brought on by foreign country lobbyists, um, so mostly out of Canada, um, but some out of Mexico as well. And, and essentially what it says was it used to be in order for beef specifically to be labeled as product of the USA, the cow had to be born, raised, slaughtered and processed in the U.S. That's been significantly reduced now. The, the law says, the letter of the law says that the cow has to be, um, it can be born anywhere. It can be raised anywhere. It has to be slaughtered in a place that has, quote unquote, equivalent sanitary conditions as the United States. Wholly unenforceable because USDA inspectors would have no jurisdiction in any other country. So that part would be uh, completely unenforceable. And then the last bit is it has to undergo quote unquote major transformation in the U.S. Then it can be labeled uh, product of the USA. Now, major transformation is meaning that a, um, a loin could come into the U.S., so a 20 pound uh, cryovac loin that gets sliced into steaks. That can be considered a major transformation. And so a big box retailer could get 
uh, could get a um, a frozen um, set of loins uh, from a container ship or something like that out of a foreign country and slice them in the steaks in the store and slap product of the USA on them and sell them as if they were raised in Indiana or Iowa or Florida or Texas. That's insane. Yeah. It's it's really it, – it is – so one of the things we've done with our butcher shop is we really tried to narrow down dramatically on our suppliers so that we have much more direct relationships with the farms, um, whether that's with our poultry side. So we do all heritage breed. Um, so think like an heirloom tomato, what mm-hmm. a tomato looked like 50 years ago or what a turkey looked like 50 years ago. Those are the kinds of turkeys that we sell around Thanksgiving and, and throughout the year. They are um, certified organic, no hormone, no, no antibiotics, um, uh, free range, so they're not penned. Um, and they're heritage breed. Um, uh, we call uh, our, our breed particularly is called a bourbon red um, turkey. And it lives in a condition that would be sustainable for a, um, a heritage breed turkey. So part of the reason that turkeys, commercial turkeys, are in pens is because they actually couldn't live in a field. So they, oh. so white broad-breast turkeys, which is the breed, white broad-breast, which is the butterball turkey that you would get at a big box store, and even some local farmers do those kind, they legitimately couldn't walk across the field to get food or water. Oh, wow. they, they have to be within a something like a 20 by 20 because their breasts are so large and their legs and thighs are significantly smaller that they don't have the capacity to be able to walk 50 yards to go get food and water. They would, they would literally starve or, or, or dehydrate to death. Wow. So they have to be within 20 by 20 or 30 by 30 feet in a pen in order to be that close to water because they, they can't physically walk that far. Heritage turkeys can actually walk, right? And they can fly even. Um, Closer to the original, what you'd find in the wild. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Not quite a wild turkey, but more like what you would see from a domestic turkey 50 or 60 years ago. It's really interesting, actually. Um, uh, the, uh, the White House Historical Society, and I think it's whitehousehistory.org, but I'm not 100% sure about that. They have, um, around Thanksgiving, it's a cool organization around just the history of of presidents and the White House itself. Um, It's not apolitical, so there's no politics involved. But it's really interesting because around Thanksgiving, they show when the tradition of pardoning a Thanksgiving turkey happened. And you see pictures of presidents with turkeys. And from, like, uh, Truman pardoning a turkey up through what it looked like when George W. Bush pardoned a turkey, you can see how dramatically different the turkey looked. Yeah. It was wildly different um, what they looked like. So it's that kind of, a, um, kind of a throwback to what the turkeys were supposed to be. And does that change? Was that from genetic breeding? Was it from drugs and, and other hormones given to the animals? Or yeah. what is it? Most from? of it is, is selective breeding for the, for the broad breast, the white broad breast turkey is, um, everybody wants the big plump breast meat, um, for Thanksgiving, right? And fewer people want the dark meat. And, and so you end up with that. So it, between disease, um, uh, growth. The other part about it is the the white broad breast grow 
um, they can reach full maturity in something like 30 weeks oh, or, wow. or less, right? So you, you hatch them, grow them, slaughter them, process them, they're, they're ready um, in, in less than a year. A, um, a heritage breed um, takes about uh, 15 months. So it's, you know, the amount of time that you've got to farm it, feed it, you is know, all of that kind of stuff. Is there a difference in the taste? There is. Um, the, um, I think they, the, the heritage breeds taste richer. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's a more full flavor. It's a, um, it actually has taste, whereas like, you know, people... People get um, you. You I talk to people all the time at the butcher shop, and they're like, "I don't really like turkey." Well, well that's true um, in the sense that you take a um, a bird that grew in thirty weeks or less, and then was processed. It was frozen. You thawed it out, cooked it in the oven. Since you don't cook turkey all that often, you were kind of a wing and a prayer that you cooked it right. And it comes out, and after about four bites, it turns into chalk dust in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that either. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Um, so, but that's what a lot of people are like, I don't like turkey. Well, yeah, you don't like that, right? The turkey that you like is a turkey that's, that's moist, and it has body, and it has flavor to it, and it doesn't need a ton of gravy or cranberry sauce or something like that in order to choke it down and that's kind of what a heritage breed it gets you that that richer juicier fuller flavor it's like oh i'm actually eating something and i'm not eating a vessel to to deliver gravy into my mouth that's interesting i'd, I'd like to see a like a nutritional breakdown too and of uh the proteins and, and all that i mean i don't know if anyone's ever done it but i would think that the the heritage would probably be better um, but aside from that, just going back to where we kind of start with the labeling, you know, if something's marked product of the United States of America, when you buy it in the grocery store, in my mind, there's a reason why the USDA exists and it's consumer protection. So when you buy something like that in your, the consumer's mind, you're thinking, okay, there's certain standards that they raise these animals with. There's certain standards of the products they can and can't give the animal, you know, drugs and antibiotics and that kind of thing that will come through in the meat. And so if that's coming from, you know, a total Wild West, unregulated market like China or something like that, you have two issues there in my mind for the consumers is, you know, I don't know, you don't know what the animal's been given and the humane side of it, you don't know what kind of conditions that animal's raised in. So if you have any, you know, concerns with uh, the humane treatment of the animal that you're eating or what you're putting into your body, that's, that's hugely misleading. That's really, that's really... Uh, bothersome. I yeah, I agree with that. I I think that you know there are a couple of practical pieces that that I, I don't want to say self regulate, but so if you um, there's probably not a lot of beef coming from China that's that's being presented as like a steak in the U S. and part of that is because it just takes a long time to get from China to here on a boat, right? And so. Um, they could freeze it and and thaw it um kind of like a lot a lot of the seafood that we get is like that um especially like shrimp um flash frozen on the boat when it's caught thawed out so even when you get something that's fresh it's been previously frozen um 90% of the time but um so it, it, that can be done but it's but it's a little bit less practical um 
on the beef side, what I worry more about is like South American countries and stuff like that. But okay. yeah, you're a hundred percent right. The, the the conditions all the way through. So even if even if the the cow was slaughtered in a completely sanitary and processed in a completely sanitarium would pass USDA regulations and inspections and all of that kind of stuff. Up to that point, it's how was it farmed? How was it raised? Um, what was it given? What was it fed? You know, was it grass fed? Was it grain fed? Was it reject fed? Was there actually additional proteins added to it? Like, the, you know, sometimes they'll add like chicken meal, like basically ground up and dried chicken parts into um, uh, cow feed in order to boost the um, protein content so that they grow and fatten up faster, right? Um, so was it fed that? And, you know, and all of that kind of stuff goes into it. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing. And again, go back to like our shop, just the, the little bit that we do, and we're a really, really tiny shop um, uh, that... that you know, obviously, we're family-owned by two families. There's um, four people, five people that work in the shop uh, every day. So we're a really tiny shop. But what we've tried to do is really get more direct relationships with the farms where the animals are being produced so that we can, in fact, we've even visited a couple where we've seen, oh, okay, these are the, the stalls that the cows live in and um, these are the, the, the fields that the turkeys or the chickens run in and these are the coops that they have at night and that kind of stuff. Um, just so that we get a better feel for what we're actually giving our customers because I think that matters, right? I think Absolutely. it matters to have, you know, fewer drugs involved fewer um unsustainable farming practices you know for for all of the um conveniences and 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 you know drives the price down when you do some of the uh, the stuff at the end of the day i want to have this butcher shop to be able to pass on to my kids and you know the, the business in order for that to happen it all has to be sustainable Right? We can't like blow things out of the water to where, oh, the, it's this area that was a farm can't be a farm anymore because it's it was done unsustainably or, you know, nobody can afford to do it anymore at the, those rates or, or that kind of stuff. So um, the sustainable farming is really meaningful for us. That's great. Uh, what what farms in particular do you mostly deal with? Are they in Ohio or Kentucky? Or? So there are seven farms that we will pull um, um, most of our beef from. Um, they go out as far as Iowa, but um, there's a farm in Ohio uh, about an hour, hour and a half north of Cincinnati in um, uh, Wilmington, Ohio. And that's where we pull all of our American Wagyu beef from. Um, another family-owned farm. Uh, they're called Sakura Farms. Um, beautiful product, right? Very well run, um, sustainably farmed, organic, no hormones, no antibiotics, grass-fed, and they produce um, just some of the highest quality American Wagyu beef you can imagine. And it is so good, it's so well marbled throughout, um, and it just tastes it tastes different. The the chemical content is different. The fat content's higher in omega threes um, than a regular uh, piece of beef. Um, so you know, the, to your point, like around nutritional breakdown, 
completely chemically changed um, the way in which the the structure of that meat is, and you can taste it. I mean, from the moment that you begin to process it to the point we put it in the case, you can tell the difference to the point that you cook it. It cooks uh, better, differently. Um, and then, you know, obviously when you put it in your mouth, you're like, oh, that's, that's some amazing <laughs> stuff. So, And what exactly is Wagyu? So, um, so a lot of people uh, have probably heard about the um, A5 Wagyu beef or Kobe beef that comes okay. from Japan. And in the early 90s, so um, Kobe beef or Wagyu is kind of like champagne, right? It, in order to be labeled champagne, it has to come from the champagne region of France. They kind of do the same thing with Kobe beef. The, um, there, it's a particular breed of cow plus a way of farming it. And um, in in the diet restriction that it gets, and and it produces a, um, it produces a very well marbled uh, steak. Also, the way in which they raise the cow, um, uh, you know, e- Eastern cultures tend to be very much focused on energy and um, in the right. Um, uh, just kind of that that the good positive energies and, and and they put that into their farming too, and so um, not to make light of it, but it, it's happy cow. Like yeah. the cow experiences very very little stress in its life. They do things to um, reduce the even though it's you know done it in an industrial level, it is still not um, stressed. The cow is the well being of the cow while the cow is alive is absolutely paramount. So that you have a happy cow. A happy cow with good energy, and and that reflects into the meat. And there's a there's actually a lot of science behind that. I mean, it's not just hokey. Um, the more um, uh, uh, the more livestock is stressed, the more um, hormones it produces, like adrenaline and Cortisol, stuff like that. Probably. Right, exactly. And the more um, adrenaline that gets produced in meat, you can actually taste it, and it will have a um, um, it'll have a sharp taste to it. Huh. Um, so, like, for example, if, if you have people who are hunters, um, when a, uh, if somebody is hunting deer and they um, take a shot on the deer and they immediately kill the deer and the deer falls over, that meat is going to taste wildly different than if they shoot the deer and the deer takes off running and then the deer um, bleeds out. Mm-hmm. Um, over running for a, a period of time because the deer who was shot immediately and and died immediately had no um, adrenaline running through it. The meat that uh, the, the meat gets interlaced with that adrenaline of the running deer. And the same thing's true of cows in uh, any livestock, um, uh, lamb, sheep, goat, you know all of that. Same thing happens, right? So um, what they try to do, so what Wagyu, they try to create a happy cow in um, sustainably raised, organic, certain diets, all of that kind of stuff. And um, that's been kind of labeled a national treasure of Japan. In the early 90s, they allowed some of these Kobe cows, Wagyu breed, to come over um, to the United States. They exported them in a period of about eight or nine years. They exported 202 cows, and then they stopped exporting them. 
And so the bloodline, the Wagyu bloodline, then came into the the U.S. and they were very much treated like um, racehorses. They had names and they had sires and they had like so you could trace bloodlines of of cows. Oh wow! Right? They, I mean, they you know obviously had very Japanese names to them that I wouldn't be able to pronounce, but it was you could see a family tree of a of a cow. And in the U.S., they started breeding them with. Um, really high quality um, black Angus cows. And so you've got the Angus and the um, the Japanese Wagyu breeds, and that creates an American. And it's a much higher percentage Wagyu um, than, than Angus, but they keep the bloodline going um, with, the, with the Angus, right? So you obviously have more than 200 cows. So the, um, what, what comes out of that is um, a breed of cow, American Wagyu, that is farmed in the Japanese style, oh, right? So, so they keep the Japanese practices. So they keep the Japanese practices, try to keep the cow under very low stress for its entire life. Um, and, and, that's the, and what that produces is just an unbelievably beautiful um, piece of meat. That's awesome. Um, you know, I listen to some of these guys that are into ancestral living and ancestral health, kind of like a, a Ben Greenfield, and he's been talking a lot about, him and others have been talking a lot about of eating uh, nose to tail, kind of eating the whole animal. So do you guys just have muscle cuts, or do you do livers and other stuff like that? We do. We try to, so we're not a, um, we're a family butcher shop. Um, and we have to cater to what our customers buy, obviously, which is, you know, 90% of that is whole muscle cuts, right? So sirloin, strip steaks, filet mignons, you know, the, those kinds of things. We do, but so we don't do um, whole animal processing. We're not set up to do that, and we, and we typically do not do it. But we do get, we still do carry... Um, a lot of things like liver and, and every once in a while um, we will get some exotic things in like tongue or heart or something like that. And it's really, um, it's really unique how that, um, how you can work those into dishes and how good they are. So if you've ever had a chance to, to eat tongue, for example, beef tongue is unbelievable. As weird as it sounds, and a lot of people get really wigged out about it, but it's, but it's really, really, really good. First of all, it's incredibly tender, um, and it's amazingly lean. There's, I mean, there's no fat on your tongue, obviously, right? And so there's, there's no fat, but it does a lot of work, obviously. It's a very vascular, so the flavor of it's unbelievable, and it's tremendously tender. Um, and heart's kind of the same way. Heart is obviously it's very vascular. It's got a tremendous amount of flavor to it, and um, it's very, very, very tender. Um, so those are two really awesome cuts that you would never think to try. But it, and you wouldn't take a, a a fillet of tongue and eat it like a steak, but um, prepared the right way and in the right dish, it's unbelievable. That's nice. Do you have any uh, recommendations for? Places where you can find recipes or anything uh, for for cooking those more exotic dishes like that or or no. So um, there's a there's a a YouTube channel that I love called Eater and they have a ton of um, 
they have a ton of sub-channels. And there's um, two guys that own a butcher shop in uh, Brooklyn. Um, the butcher shop's called The Meat Hook. And they're a butcher shop that does whole animal processing. Okay. And they have a um, an episodes on the um, on the eater uh, channel called the Meat Hook, and it's awesome. These guys are they're super entertaining and um, they they're incredibly knowledgeable. They downplay it a lot, and you know they 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 ham it up for the um, for the videos, but they do a they really know their stuff, right? And they have all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and so I'd look on um, YouTube, um, specifically Eater, um, find the Meat Hook guys, uh, their website um, for the Meat Hook um, uh, butcher shop has a ton of recipes on it, and they've got some pretty exotic stuff. They They do a great job. Fantastic. And do you guys also do pork or? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Um, we pretty much do everything, right? So um, everything that, that you would normally be able to to find, plus the, you know, stuff that you wouldn't find at a big box store. So we, you know, we have, we have pork, we have lamb, we have um, turkey, chicken, um, duck, you know, okay. uh, all of that kind of stuff is stuff that we um, carry normally or seasonally. So there are times when, um, you know, we will carry more um, veal or duck in certain times uh, of the year. So we might not have that all the time, but but we have all that stuff pretty regularly. Nice. Where do you uh, source your lamb from? Uh, so there's... Um, one distributor we use, and um, they go to two farms, and I think one is in Illinois, and the other one is in Ohio, but I'd have to check that. I'm not 100% sure. I think the best lamb I've ever had was actually in Iraq. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the second time I was over there, there's a little restaurant that uh, sometimes the guys would go out and get some, uh, it was like lamb and cucumber sauce and different like tomatoes and onions and lettuce, like a little salad with it, and lamb was kind of... It was like a strip of lamb, and it seemed like it was kind of like a ground lamb, but it was so sweet, and the flavor was just incredible. It was funny because I didn't know if it was because I had just been eating MREs the whole time, why it tasted so good, or if the lamb was actually that good. And I, I feel like I heard a guy on a podcast talking about lamb, on uh, I think it was on Rogan's podcast, and he was talking about how some of the best lamb in the world is in Iraq. And I was like, well, that makes sense. It was actually probably that good. But, man, I, I enjoy some uh, lamb chops or some ground lamb. Well, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people eat much of it. No, I it's it's not terribly popular. I love it. Um, my wife doesn't like it. Uh, our partners, uh, Andrew and Jody, Andrew doesn't like it. Jody loves it. So Jody and I always joke when we get, like, lamb in or something like that. It's like... Jody wants to reach in the case and goes, oh, Nick and I will have a private owner's meeting. And... <laughs> Kara and Andrew can order pizza <laughs> or something like that because I, I love lamb. I, it, so it's got to be sourced well, right? Like the the lamb that you would, if you would around Christmas time or around Easter or something like that, lamb tends to be popular. If you go to a big box store and you get lamb, it's probably not going to taste great. Um, so it's got to be sourced well. And it's got to be prepared right. But if it is, oh, there's, I mean, I really, I really enjoy. It's actually one of my favorite cuts. I love lamb. Um, and do you guys deliver to surrounding areas or is it just in-store pickup? Or? No, we do. We we deliver, um, we deliver some. Um, it, it's, 
delivery is a little tricky uh, because um, uh, there are some rules around it and stuff oh, okay. like that that we've got to be um, that we got to be careful about. But we um, we can deliver. We'll deliver um, most of like a lot of the deliveries that we do will be to um, longtime customers who have trouble getting to the store, you know, whether they're elderly and they can't drive anymore or something like that. We we're able to do some deliveries there. Um, so we do some of that. We, um, <clears throat> the, the other thing that we've, um, talked about, uh, doing is trying to do some more, um, like shipping. Okay. Um, where, you know, people might have customers or friends or family that they want to ship like the Wagyu, it's a little bit hard to find, um, or like for example, dry aged. We do in house dry aging. Um, that's hard to find. So um, being able to take that and and, um, and facilitate people shipping it to friends and family, uh, that's something that we're looking into to see if we can do. Oh, super cool! Um, could you kind of explain the dry aging? And that's mostly with beef, am I right? Yeah, I mean you can. So interestingly, you can dry age fish. Really, um, uh, it's. But yeah, we do it all with beef. Um, you can so what we do is in-house dry aging, and there aren't that many butcher shops left that do in-house dry aging. There are a few, but what we do is um, we tend to do thirty-five day. It's kind of what we find as being a really happy medium between getting the the right profile flavor profile without going over the roller coaster kind of because you can get you can get dry aged beef that starts to taste funky right um and you know we did we did special for christmas we did 120 day and it was um strong it wasn't as strong as i thought it was going to be it was still much more mild than i thought it was going to be um had a beautiful flavor to it but um, you can get some stuff that's pretty like blue cheesy. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it can get it can get kind of funky. So we find thirty five days is we call it our beginners dry aged um, because it starts to get the what happens in a dry aged is the the first thing that happens is it obviously dries out and when it dries out it loses about twenty um, percent of its weight. So uh, a whole, like a, a bone-in ribeye loin. So you get seven bones on a ribeye um, and it'll weigh about 18 pounds to start. And then um, maybe about 15, um, 15 and a half, 16 pounds when we're done with the 35 days. Okay. Most of your drying out occurs in the first 20 days. Um, and then after that, it stops losing it doesn't stop losing water, but it the the amount of evaporation significantly slows down. Then what happens is enzymes in the meat begin to break it down, and so it's um, I mean it's 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 actually controlled spoilage. It's controlled, so it's not um, there's not bacteria developing on the inside that's going to cause botulism or anything like that. But it's a so it's a controlled spoilage, but it's a spoilage where the enzymes are beginning to break down. And the first thing the enzymes do is break down the connective tissue. Um, and what that does is it creates a really, really tender piece of meat. Okay. And then the, um, there, the bacteria in the meat that just naturally occurs in and around the meat will impart a flavor profile to it. 
And that flavor profile ranges from a hint of nuttiness, like think like a, a walnut or an almond or um, a hazelnut. That'll depend on kind of where you're at and the type of bacteria that's in your air. Um, all the way to, again, like a blue cheese kind of a um, stinky foot cheese, if you will. And it just depends on where you stop the bacteria, um, okay. at, at what point you stop that. And do you do that in like a, like a cooler, like a walk-in cooler? Yeah, we do it in our, in our walk-in. We have a dedicated area okay. um, that has um, uh, some high-velocity air circulation to, to speed up the dry. Not speed up, but to aid the evaporation and the drying. And then... Um, that um yeah that and then that just it basically just ages there um we usually like i said 35 days tends to be our target that gets a little bit of the nuttiness and that um and it gets a lot of the tenderness so you know you walk into a um a famous steakhouse um and, and you know whether that's uh in the cincinnati area the the jeff ruby chain tends to be some of the most famous or you know, anywhere else, a Morton's or a Ruth Chris or something like that, you'll see dry aged on the menu. Most dry aged that you get is at a restaurant. It's hard to find elsewhere. And it's and if you find it somewhere else, it's pretty expensive. Um, but that's that steakhouse flavor where it's super tender. It's really, um, it's got an extra beefy flavor. Even when you go to big box store, you get yourself a nice ribeye, you put it on the grill and you're like, that's good, but it doesn't have that like extra oomph that a steakhouse has. That's the dry aged. That's okay. what it gets you. Um, because we can do it dry aged in house. We keep the price point pretty low. So um, it's not a whole lot more expensive than a regular cut of meat for us. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about or promote while we're on here? No, you know, I think that, you know, one of the questions that we get a lot about in, in our, um, in our shop is people come in and we talk to them a little bit about the sustainably grown and the low, you know, more locally sourced and stuff like that. And people say, you know, I'm trying to eat less processed foods. Yeah. Right. And, um, as yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Um, and then, you know, they'll get themselves some chicken breast, some of our organic chicken breast and, um. And then they'll be like, um, and then can I get um, chicken salad? And I'm like, I thought you were trying to eat whole. Like, I don't ever want to talk people out of eating our chicken salad because our chicken salads, we make it in-house. It's done. Um, and, it's, and it's really tasty. But I think people forget what it means to, to be um, whole versus processed food, right? Yeah. You can make something in your own kitchen that's processed food. And it has all the negative effects of if you would have gone and got it from a box or unwrapped it from a plastic wrapper at a store, right? Anything that has been preserved with um, a chemical preservative, obviously, is a processed food. But anything that's been, that has been preserved, if you will, with excess fat or excess salt is, from the standpoint of your body, is a processed food. So if you take tuna, right, mm -hmm. canned tuna, even if it's fresh, even if it's no salt, no MSG or anything like that, and you put a bunch of mayonnaise in it to make tuna salad, you've made a processed food. Yeah. Now, it's a homemade processed food, so it's probably not as bad as going and getting something out of a vacuum-packed wrapper at a big box store, but 
um, it's one of the things that, again, is we, it's funny, um, since we, we bought the butcher shop in July, in since um, the butcher shop in July, I've lost 20 pounds. Wow. And it has nothing, there's two things that I've consciously done. One, um, I think they call it intermittent fasting, where you like don't mm-hmm. eat after, I don't typically eat after 9 p.m. at night. And I don't eat again until 11 a.m. I mean, that's generally what's called, I mean, it's, it's technically um, time-restricted feeding. But most people call that intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting generally is where, say on Mondays, you don't eat for 24 hours. Gotcha. So okay. you would only eat, other than water and maybe some salt, Tuesday through Sunday. I gotcha. Okay. That would technically be intermittent fasting. What you're doing is time-restricted feeding. Okay. Which tends to be... Very effective for so it's done a couple. It's, so one, I I I credited a lot with um, with losing weight, and the other thing is it it changes your like it evens out your blood sugar incredibly, right? Like I'm amazed at how even um, blood sugar. How do gets. you feel doing it? Do you feel good? Yeah, I mean it. Actually, you know, I I would would have thought that I would have been really hungry all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. Um, it, 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 I don't know. I think you train your body. I think your body gets accustomed to the rhythm, right? Yeah. And, and there are days that I wake up and I'm like super hungry. And I'm like, you know what? Cheat day. And then that's when I eat something reasonable for breakfast. But that happens once a month yeah. or something like that. So it's pretty – I think that's pretty um, – I think that's pretty interesting. So July, um, the, the time-restricted – um, dieting or tri- time restricted eating, and then eating um, less processed food. And, and again, whether that's homemade processed or so. Uh, interestingly, eating red meat or chicken or pork or you know something like that, um, I would have thought, man, I'm going to have to really watch myself um, because it's so easy to grab steak or it's so easy just to bring that home. Um, and, and set it up, um, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to be careful with this. In fact, I don't have to be, um, or I'm finding I'm not having to be because it's it's less processed food, right? right. It's more whole food. It's more... You're getting um, more nutrients when you eat that yeah, with it, less calories, generally. And that's the, the interesting thing about that is I'm finding wow. that... Um, so, like, you know, used to go get big box chicken, right? And big box chicken... Um, you go get a thing of of chicken breast, and they're huge. Like the one side of them's an inch and a half or two inches thick, to where you have to slice them down the middle in order to cook them upright and all that kind of stuff. Our organic chicken are really thin. They're really sm- they're small chicken breast, right? And I'm finding that uh, eating a smaller chicken breast is just as satisfying as eating one of the big ones. And come to find out, the big ones are injected with a lot of saline and stuff like that. And so they either deflate while they're cooking or they're just not as... as Nutrient-dense. Yeah, they're not as nutrient-dense. And so it's been very interesting, this journey of learning. About, I've always been passionate about food. I've always loved to cook. But now being in the food chain, if you will, mm-hmm. or, or in that, like, the food distribution is really, really interesting. It's... I've learned a ton, and I'm sure there's a million more things to learn. Um, 
but it's been very interesting, not just from a proprietor and, and seeing how different trends affect consumers and, and what works and what doesn't, but also with my own body and feeling like, oh, if I eat more of this and less of this, this is how I feel and this is how I, you know, I, I my body reacts to it. And it's been, it's been really interesting and I've really enjoyed the heck yeah, out of it. That's awesome. I'm glad you brought up that uh, whole idea about, well, what is a whole food and what does unprocessed mean? Because that's what I advocate with my clients is let's try to just get to an unprocessed diet because they're always like, well, you're going to have to tell me Am I going to have to not, you know, starve and eat 1,200 calories? I said, no, no, no. Let's just replace. Let's figure out what you're doing. You know, if you're eating fast food every day and, and all this processed stuff, let's just switch that over. Or, you know, we'll do it one small step at a time yep. to where it's a sustainable thing to just eating whole foods and just see what happens. Don't restrict yourself on it. Yep. You know, but let's get it towards a pure whole foods diet. And, uh, you know, and again, explaining that difference is uh, the, the thing that I found works best to explaining what unprocessed is to say i always say imagine you're living on a farm and i say in southern california so you can eat fruit year round (laughs) so imagine you're living on a farm in like san diego and you can only eat what you can raise and grow on that farm and that's it (laughs) you know you can't raise and grow coca-cola can't raise and grow uh buns so i you know i said no bread potatoes sweet potatoes any kind of fruit you want that's you know, if it's an orange, it say it should say if it had ingredients on it, it should say orange. Yeah, that's it. No, nothing else. You know, meat, chicken, fish. You know, if you're a vegetarian, just make sure you're getting the complete amino acid profile by mixing beans and rice. And if you stick to that, and don't even restrict your calories, just see what happens if you're if you're eating otherwise. And 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 also, I say, you know, like you like I like that you mentioned you when you feel like man, I'm starving. You go ahead and ha- you go ahead and break your intermittent fasting pro or your time restricted feeding protocol, and you have breakfast. But then you're back on track. Yeah. And just listening to your body and just trying to go that way, it's man, it has huge, huge impact on your health. I agree. Like one of the things we've done at the shop is, um, so obviously we have deli meats, right? Which is kind of the definition of processed food. Right. Right. It comes in a wrapper. It's usually and even if it's it's ham or roast beef, it's got some kind of saline solution that it's packed in to preserve it and all of that kind of stuff. So we don't, um, so we have those deli meats, but we're, we're also converting over some things like our roast beef. We actually do our roast beef in-house. So we will grab roast, we'll put um, a little bit of salt, pepper um, on the outside, we'll cook it in our oven, um, we'll pull, wrap it up, and then we'll slice that for our roast beef deli meat. Now you've gone from processed roast beef that would be like a lunch meat to a whole food lunch meat. And just that, like just little things like that, if you can do, um, I think have tremendous health benefits. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, like you said, it's more satisfying to eat these whole foods. They're more nutritionally dense, so you're not just constantly eating more and more um i think it has an impact on your hormones uh your performance and everything that's the that's how i eat and uh i've felt a tremendous difference i i eat like an army you know i eat like enough food for like five people and and i i'm not i don't try to lose weight or anything and i stay pretty lean i mean of course i work out too but the the sticking to the whole foods rule has been huge for me it's been really really big for me my advice to people is when you go to wherever you shop for meat, deli, cheese, fish, 
pork, where at whatever protein you're going to pull, um, especially if it's animal protein, whoever's working behind the counter, ask them questions. If they know what's going on, if they can tell you where things are sourced or what ingredients are what or even how to prepare something, then you're probably a good spot. If they don't know or they have to run and get somebody and there's one person in the store that knows where things came from or how things are cut or, or whatever, then it might be time to seek out something different, right? Um, and, and of course, I mean, I'd always advocate going to your neighborhood butcher if you've got one fairly close by because those people will know everything, right? They Because, again, I think all the butchers, I mean, we're not so unique that we're trying to go more relationships with our farmers and stuff like that. I think everybody's going that way because otherwise you can't compete with the big box stores, right? So the, the, the niche that the butcher shop has is quality and knowledge. But that would be my recommendation is, you know, go into your big box store. If the butcher manager or the butcher behind the counter knows what's going on and they've got their finger on things, then you can buy stuff from a big box store and not have any issue. I, I, I'm not saying that the big box stores are bad. They're not. Um, some of them are, are run very, very well. Um, but if you don't, if you, if you go and you ask some questions and they don't have, they don't seem like they know what they're doing, um, then maybe explore out and venture out, see what's out there. That's great advice. Um, you got anything else? I'm good, man. Merry All Christmas. Right. Merry Christmas. Thanks for uh, sitting down with me. I appreciate it. That was awesome. That was great information. Um, and again, just in case people want to know where your shop is, it's... Uh, Summit Meats, Summit Fine Meats in Anderson Township, a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, we're on Facebook at Summit Fine Meats, Instagram at Summit Fine Meats, and uh, you can look me up. I'm Nick Ritter, and uh, I'm uh, Instagram at N-J-R-I-T-T-Zero. All right. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.